Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. Since we last sat in front of these microphones, UConn improved to... 10-0 with a 75-54 win at Florida. It was a total beatdown on the road. UConn, by the way, isn't just 10-0. UConn is 10-0 with 10 double-digit wins, the last five of which have all come against top 55 Ken Palm teams. The Huskies killed Alabama, Iowa State, Oregon, Florida. They've killed people at home, on the road, neutral courts. Deadleg, you spent time uh, at UConn with Dan Hurley in the preseason. Did he know back then that he had a team that could win the national title because one month into this season, it certainly seems like he has a team that is capable of winning the national title. Uh, no, I, you know, I'm not really telling secrets out of school there. Now Hurley was Hurley and I actually had a, a playful, uh, tete a tete, if you will, about UConn's sealing this upcoming season. And you know, I, we are, I think we are both, if, if he was taking true serum, he would not have expected a 10 and 0 record with 10 wins by double digit margins so uh, certainly a plenty of optimism i actually walked away from that preseason practice um thinking that you know geez donna i remember talking to hurley about donovan klingen who's the backup big and has been awesome awesome and thinking like he, he when in practice he looked like he was going to be he was capable of playing 20 minutes a game right and hurley was telling me you know, if we can get the, if we can just get this guy 10, 12 minutes a game, Matt, you know, give Sonogo a breather, uh, you know, that'll be huge for us. He was hoping that he would be able to help out and spot duty. He has become one of the better freshmen in America. In fact, there's a lot of reasons why UConn's 10 and 0 to this point. Uh, they have, as expected, team is nine deep. I did mention that in my preseason uh, team rankings. I put UConn 28th overall. Everyone undersold UConn. No doubt about it. It's just one of those things. But in that, I said, you know, UConn should be nine deep. And that was based off of, you know, in talking to the staff and also seeing them up close, thinking that they they really would have the capability to, to play nine guys. And that's really what it's come down to so far. But it's been because Klingon has been as good as he's been. Alex Caraban, another freshman. Those two are ahead of schedule. And then you throw in like the San Diego transfer, Joey Calcaterra. Way better than expected. He is a 58.1% three-point shooter at this point, GP. So the team I saw in stores in October 
at that practice looked like a group with good promise. I thought, yeah, this team is capable of winning the Big East. Now, I didn't pick them to do that. Clearly, I'm not going to rewrite history here. But it has been able to just take every single opponent it's played, have a great scout, play well. They, they haven't had a game yet where there's been four or five guys having an off night. In fact, against Florida, the backcourt really didn't play well. Everyone else did. But when you go down the roster at this point, Sonogo is still the best player. He's the preseason player of the year. 18 and a half a game, seven boards. Hawkins is at 13 points a game. Tristan Newton has been better than they expected, I believe. 11 points, four boards, four assists. And then, you know, you just Klingon is at nine. What, Caravan's at nine. Calcaterra's at nine. And then Andre Jackson, who might be like a top three athlete in college basketball. He's insane. He is a joke, okay? NBA athlete in college right now, yet his stat line is 5.4 points a game, six boards, 4.3 assists. Their whole team makeup, there's not another team like them in terms of the guys they have available, how Hurley runs out their lineups, and they're not even yet top 15 in any per game category. Not one. Does not rate top 15 nationally in any of the you know 20 or so categories listed at Sports Reference right now. Fascinating team. Your thoughts and also, where do you have them ranked? Let's refresh the listeners that are catching up on this. I have them number two in my power rankings ever so narrowly. Behind Purdue, where do you have these Huskies? I have them four, but as I pointed out in a recent uh, top 25 and one post, if you want to argue they, they should be higher than four, like I'm with you. I don't disagree. It's just that at this point, there are four teams, and I have them in this order, and I've had them in this order before UConn improved to 10 and 0 by blasting Florida. Uh, there's four teams Houston, Purdue, Virginia, UConn. They're all undefeated. They're all in possession of strong computer numbers. Uh, Purdue and Virginia and UConn obviously have better wins than Houston. And I think UConn and Purdue at this moment have better wins than Virginia. Purdue and UConn both have three quadrant one wins already. Um, but like, if you just first off, you could do this however you want to. I could have just woke up after the Florida game and said UConn's the best team in the country. I'm moving them to number one and dropping Houston. But mm-hmm. you start doing that, you're just going to run into some issues because you're going to end up flip flopping nonstop. Because what happens if Houston just blast Alabama this weekend, and then people are saying, "How could Houston not be number one?" And so I'm, I have decided, and I wrote this. Um, I am keeping this order. Until somebody loses. Houston 1, Purdue 2, Virginia 3, UConn 4. I don't think there's much difference between these teams. Um, I do know there's difference in the resumes so far. But that's early and that's scheduling stuff. Like, you know, if Oregon were better, you know, Houston would have this big win already that it doesn't yet possess. And so I've got UConn 4. If you want to put them 1, that's fine with me. I honestly think at this point you should and could have Houston, Purdue, Virginia, UConn, one through four, and in any order, any literally any order is is defendable, De- defensible. Is it defendable or defensible? Defensible, yeah. Defensible, yes. Yes, agreed on and that. And by the way, I appreciate you not rewriting history, but I'm going to. I'm going to rewrite I know history. You, right? Listen, if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna lean into that, that's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the person of integrity on this podcast. I, can't, yeah, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to. I refuse to. I can do a lot of things. Integrity has never been my strongest, my strongest trait. So I'm just going to rewrite history, if you don't mind, and proclaim that I always had UConn 
uh, projected to win the Big East. And so now here we are again. It's December 9th. Guess who looks like a genius? It's GP. Genius GP again. I'll tell you hey, what, everybody. Dude. It's G- Genius GP here. The voice really sells it. Dan Hurley, also a genius, because he said this. This is what he said in 2020. UConn fans, all too familiar with this clip. Love it. But he, but he was right. He was right. Seven seconds. Here we go. You know, people better get us now. That's all. You better get us now. Because it, it's coming. He was absolutely right about that. <laughs> like, can you just see? Like, I almost, like, I don't mean to be, like, goofy, but, like, I almost got chills listening to that because I can just envision it. Um, you know, they, they're they're playing a national, they're, they're playing for the national championship, and, like, that's part of the pregame thing. Like, if, as long as they stay great, that is going to be a part of literally every broadcast of a UConn men's basketball. That's true. That's actually a good point. Um, I have not uh, been to a home UConn game yet. If that is not yet incorporated into the pregame hype video, UConn's not doing their job. Right. Like that, that needs to be. And by the way, this that is coming. That video comes from the season when UConn was just they were okay, nineteen and twelve. It was the twenty nineteen twenty season, and that was in the midst of a four game losing streak. UConn was ten and nine after dropping an OT game against Tulsa. This is back when they were in the American, and I don't have the exact record since then. You know the the COVID shortened following season. They were they got to the tournament, but they played. You know they played what. Play 20 games in the regular season. I'm looking at it right now. Last season, obviously, improvement. We're waiting to see about the tournament stuff. They haven't won a tournament game under Hurley, whatever. They're 10 and 0. They'd be a one seed right now. They've been awesome. They're the first Big East team. This is per ESPN stats and info. First Big East team to start 10 and 0 with 10 double digit wins since 2009 10 Syracuse entered that tournament that year 28 and 4 and a one seed. They have been, uh, they've been terrific. And to your note, about you're going to keep that order until someone loses a game. No qualms here whatsoever. There's a good chance that UConn could outlast everyone else. Their next How about four this? Are- UConn is projected as a favorite currently in every remaining game between now and Selection Sunday, according to Ken Pong. It doesn't mean they'll win them all, obviously. They won't win they, them all. Yeah, yeah. But they will be pro- – they are current – this is a fact. They are currently projected to be a favorite in every game between now and Selection Sunday, according to Ken Palm, which is – Well, I also cool. checked this. We're going to get to them in just a second. UMass Lowell is projected to win every game except one until Selection Sunday. Just Ooh, so the Mississippi River Hawks. That's right. So, uh, UConn's next four, home against LIU, at Butler, home Georgetown – Home versus Villanova. There's a good chance this team gets to 14-0, although Butler is 7-3. and Has Thad Mata has not lost at home yet this season, so the Butler game on the road is not a gimme. But if you get that, you got to figure home versus Georgetown, home against Villanova, and then they'll play at Xavier on New Year's Eve. That'll be a, a pretty tasty tip, I would I would have to imagine there. But UConn's got a good shot at a 14-0 start. And if you want to claim that this is the best team in, in college basketball, you have a valid claim, claim to that. To me, it is splitting... Splitting hairs with them and Purdue to this point, I give Purdue the the narrow margin because Purdue has the better player. And both of those teams, Purdue and UConn, um, they have some similar aspects in the sense that best players are big and they're getting real production from a sub-50 high school recruit in his freshman season. Um, at Purdue, it's the it's the the freshman guards. At UConn, we've talked about him, Donovan Klingham, who has been like rock solid, you know, like he, he averaged 9.4 points, 6.6 rebounds. He was 55th in the class of 2022, according to Ken Palm. He's the only true freshman 
on the UConn roster. Carabin is a, I think, redshirted the second semester last year after enrolling. So Klingon is the only uh, true freshman on the roster, and he's given him real minutes. And like, he's one of those guys you turn. I, I used to say this about Jaden Ivy last year. Like, you even on TV, it just sort of pops. Like, man, he looks big, big for he's, his position. He's bigger in person. I'm just telling you Klingon right now, he looks he's big person. on TV. He's bigger in person, and the thing is, he's local, he, Bristol Central, yeah, right here in Connecticut. Like, he's, yeah. you know, he's he's 25 minute drive from campus. There, they got a they got a really good one with him. Yeah, no, he's he's uh he he's been he's been excellent. And one of the things Dan said, and by the way, it's not just that UConn pounded Florida on the road. Like Colin Castleton could do nothing. And and Sonogo and Klingon did everything. I mean, go look at Castleton's numbers and compare them to the UConn bigs, and it's like a no contest. And Castleton's like a preseason all-American candidate. And he just could do nothing against these guys. And the quotes coming out of Florida were also interesting and I think telling. You and I have attended a million post-game press conferences, uh, watched a million post-game press conferences. You don't usually hear things like this. Like Colin Castleton said, you know, I was just reading the quotes, but he said they just came in here and laid it to us. Like they just laid it on us. And then Todd Golden said something along the lines of, hey, they've been doing that to everybody. Like, like you just don't hear – usually coaches get smacked like that, and they're like, hey, we got to get better. We weren't sharp. We've got to blah, 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 And Todd was like I, – I don't want to take anything out of context, but among the things he said was clearly disappointed, but they have been doing what you just saw. They've been doing that to everybody, and, and that's true. They, 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 look, they look great. And so, you know, we'll see where it goes from here, but uh, it, it looks like at this moment – and we'll get to Creighton dur- during the final four and one. But at this moment, with the preseason Big East favorite, you know, on a three-game losing streak, and you know the perennial Big East favorite Villanova, uh, two and zero since they got Cam Whitmore back in the lineup. But you know the, the record's not great under uh, first-year coach Cal Neptune. It, it does appear at this point that that UConn is a is a clear favorite in the Big East. Let's move on. You uh, Ohio State. Beat Rutgers late Thursday on a buzzer-beating three-pointer from Tanner Holden. It's a great shot, but it should not have counted. We're going to talk about the referee screwing Rutgers next, but first, a word from our partners. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever, and this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. So Ohio State uh, beat Rutgers late Thursday on a buzzer-beating be- three-pointer uh, from Tanner Holden. It was a great shot, but it should not have counted because Holden exited the, the court and then returned just before catching a pass from Bruce Thornton, which is simply against the rule that states a player cannot step out of bounds and then return inbounds and be the first person to touch the ball after he returns inbounds. Dead leg, um, how did the refs miss such an obvious rule violation that – literally cost Rutgers a quad one win on the road because if you go yeah. back and watch the replay, Steve Peichel saw it and is pointing at it. 
another Rutgers player is pointing at it. Like the, the other people standing on the court knew what happened and the refs just absolutely missed it. It's not reviewable. Game over. Congrats to Ohio State. You take wins however you can get them. But man, if you're Rutgers, you got to feel sick. Right. There was a little bit of back and forth with a lot of people because Billis was the first to point this out. Uh, you know, a little truth corner here, GP. In the moment, I did not realize that he had stepped out and come back in. Did you? Well, it, in the moment, I was on an airplane. Okay, so so I, I, I didn't see it. The first thing I saw on the airplane, because you can't, um, you can't, the, the Wi Fi is not good enough to stream the game. It just, it yeah, just yeah. isn't. I wish it were. Someday it probably will be, but it oh, just what, it was wasn't it a on Delta my situation and you had ESPN, but not ESPN2, because this was an ESPN2 game. No, I was a Delta flight, but uh, on my flight, you know, my, my flights from home from New York are direct flights to Memphis, and it's a smaller plane. No TVs on the plane. So yeah. it's a smaller plane. You do not have TVs. You can't stream it on your computer or iPad. The Wi Fi is just not good enough. So the first thing I saw, was like tweets from you and other people who, you know, cover college basketball. It's like Tanner Holden. Oh my God. Buzzer beater. And then the next wave of things I saw was like, hold up. This should not have counted. So I didn't, I can't tell you whether I would have noticed it live or not knowing me, I probably wouldn't have, but um, I, I couldn't see it live, but it, clearly you go back and watch the replay, which I've watched like 10 times now. Steve Peichel, he, you can see him a pointing, out of bounds and, and looking at the ref and then a Rutgers player is also trying to talk to a ref about, hey, he was out of bounds. So so people saw it in real time, even if I was, you know, just on an airplane, uh, you know, following it on Twitter. The, uh, good crew. Roger Ayers, Kip Kissinger, uh, Larry Scarato did this game uh, collectively as a group. They did. They just missed the call, unfortunately, here. Here is. OK, so it's not like pro football where if you run out of bounds you under any circumstance you can't be the first to touch it here is how here is how or how the rules read rule nine section three article one a player who steps out of bounds under the player's own volition and then becomes the first player to touch the ball after returning to the playing court has committed a violation a violation has not been committed when a player who steps out of bounds as permitted by rule seven uh, Article 4, Section 6B, does not receive the pass along the end line from a teammate. That doesn't apply to this one, obviously. We've seen that plenty of times before. And then Article 2 on this. After the throwing is completed, the thrower must touch the court inbounds before touching the ball. The difference here is, so had Tanner Holden been nudged out by a defender uh, or, again, uh, gone out uh, against his will, if his momentum had been carrying him out, you know, it, you can you can get you can be the first to touch the ball there. But if you use that space to your advantage, whether maliciously or, you know, exceedingly with intent or not, you just simply can't be the first one to touch the ball. That's a rule that does make sense there. Some were actually saying, no, if you really look at this, the way that he was running up the floor, he was taken out uh, by, you know, his his own uh own momentum. I, I just don't agree with that. This was a missed call. He, the it was a, it, it was a miss, yeah, 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 it was a missed call. And then I, somebody else pointed this out. Um, you also can't like jump back in bounds and catch the ball, which is what he also did. So there, there's some thought that like, there's actually two rules violations here. Like he did yeah. two things you cannot you do. Well, you have to establish both feet, That's but, right. if you, but if you are, nudged out of bounds because of a defender or because you're chasing, you're chasing your momentum takes you, you still are allowed. It is, there is a level where this can be a, a call with interpretation, but here it's just, it's not 
it's not there. This was this was a blow call, and it, it does it does cost it does cost Rutgers a quad one win. It was a good. It was like it was a better game than expected. To be honest, I, I didn't know what to uh, anticipate from this one. I wound up watching the whole thing. I, I kind of thought maybe one of the other one one team was going to kind of mosey to a somewhat boring kind of win. Wasn't the case whatsoever. Ohio State does get a good win. I, I I'd say close to needed win. They won't play again until UNC in the CBS Sports Classic. I'll be there. That's next weekend there. But in getting the win, I mean, it is the first top 30 win for Ohio State at Ken Palm. They, they have the win over Texas Tech in Maui. Right now, TTU is outside the top 30. And I I thought it they didn't they weren't at full strength. No, Isaac Likely in the game. He had uh, he had to leave because of a, a family matter there. Bryce Sensabaugh is coming along nice. Zed Key had a good game. Actually played really well against uh, Cliff Omarui. I mean, Key had 22 points and 14 boards. So a good win for Ohio State. It just, I mean, Tanner Holden's points of the, his only ones of the game came on the last shot, and they did. They just they sh- they shouldn't have counted. And this is where fouling up three can bite you. Okay, it is not universal. There, are, this is why some coaches still say I won't do it because the percentages are slim, but they can still happen. I mean, Rutgers fouled up when it was up three, less than six seconds to go in this game. Bruce Thornton, and you, I, I know you didn't see it, GP, so I don't even know if you're aware of this this part of it. But so they're up three, they foul. With five and change left, Bruce Thornton hit both of his foul shots. The lead's down to one. Then Ohio State fouled Caleb McConnell. He goes to the line. He hits one of two, gets to a two-point differential, and then, unlikely as it was, they wind up getting the three, the erroneous three. Ohio State, bada-bing, bada-bang, bada-boom. It wins the game. Rutgers loses. And so the chances of that entire sequence happening and, and backfiring on Rutgers was small, but it happened. Officials missed the call. Rutgers gets crossed the quad one win, and now Ohio State is up to seven and two. Yeah, I am a proponent of foul up three. Like, I'm a believer in that, but you time matters as well. My understanding from talking to coaches who have done all the analytics on this is that the numbers say up three, less than eight seconds, the proper thing to do is foul, but it is not as overwhelmingly the, it's not as overwhelming as some people like to say. Like the the numbers do say you should do it, but it's not like ninety percent. It, it's like in you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but it's not as overwhelming as you might assume if you're a foul up three guy. I don't know if you saw this. Somebody pointed out in the YouTube comments. I did see this last night. Give credit where credit is due. It was uh, uh, John Fanta, I think Randolph Childress, Chris Mack were talking to Chris Holtman after the game. Did you see this clip? I did not. It's actually a, gr- a great story. So Holtman is talking to them about the end of the game, and he said, here's the truth. The only reason I put Tanner Holden in the game is because he's my best baseball thrower. I thought Caleb McConnell was going to make two free throws. We're going to be down three. We're going to have to throw it the length of the court to try to get a you know a buzzer beater. And Tanner Holden is simply my best player at throwing the ball the length of the court. The only reason he was in the game was to, you know, theoretically throw an inbounds like a baseball player. And as it turns out, um, Sensabaugh gets McConnell misses the free throw. Sensabaugh gets the rebound, gets it to Thornton really quickly. Thornton gets almost trapped just across half court. It looks like he's about to pull and then he's in the air and he's got a bigger player in front of him. And so he that's when he finds Holden, you know, just inbounds, but still in violation of the rules. And then Holden knocks down, obviously, the biggest shot of his career. But he wasn't even supposed to be taking a shot. The only reason he was in the game is to throw a pass. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So a couple things on that one, uh, even more so uh, dude thought he was not going to be shooting the ball period. <laughs> so that's why he's out of bounds. <laughs> Two, I know there, there are going to be some Rutgers fans who have been listening to this segment for the past, you know, six, seven minutes. So like, why aren't they even mentioning this yet? The baseline angle actually catches Thornton's foot on the line. He was even out of bounds as he was making the pass. There were oh, multiple no. gaffes here with this. And so uh, someone in the chat also mentioned, why can't they review this? There was no, I, I am with you on this. I have talked to officials. I talked to the former NCAA director of officiating, who's now uh, retired from his post there, J.D. Collins, about this, about if you have a game-ending play, no matter what, why should it not be reviewable? Um, and to, they just they don't want to add... The, first of all, we agree. There are too many reviews at the end of games. We agree on this, okay? And sometimes the reviews take too long. It is a plague on the sport. It's not just a plague on college hoops. It happens in many, many sports at this point. We don't want more, right? We want the action. We want to be riveted in the final two minutes of a game and have as few stoppages as possible. Uh, I'd be on board with literally getting to the two-minute point and saying, each team, you get one more timeout. That's it. You, you, you coach your team. You do this in practice. Let's not have three, you know, three, four timeouts per bench here. And, and I wish that was the case. But they just haven't gotten to the point where if there is not a whistle, if it's just open play, game ends, we miss it. We miss it. That's it. Ideally, yes, it would be better in this situation to have to, to arbitrate and have the right call there. It's just not a reviewable play because there was not an infraction that was caught by a whistle. And so the rule book does not allow for it. I would like it to be allowed for it on the final play of a game if something is determined. But I think that uh, to use a trite phrase, uh, I think that officials are and the officiating bodies and 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 the the um the people on these on these rules committees that overlook this they don't want to open any kind of pandora's box where this becomes an even bigger deal um it's just a thursday night game in december between you know an unranked team and the 25th ranked team so it gets it gets run here and deservedly so on a college basketball podcast in the big picture they don't see they see it as a probably a problem but they don't see it as a huge issue if the same exact thing happens in an NCAA tournament game that's where you prompt real discussion in an offseason to see if there's a change. I don't know if they ever will change it. There have been plenty of instances over the years where something has happened on a final play and it hasn't been reviewable and it's cost the team a game. It will happen again. But as it stands right now, that is not a reviewable play. I would argue it should be, but I understand the, the counter argument that, listen, when are we going to stop this? You know, how many end of game reviews, how many more stoppages do you want? I hear that. But in this specific case, you're literally talking about the final shot of the game that would either have won it or lost it, depending on the outcome of the play and what or wasn't called. I wish something like that was in play. Well, I, I, one argument would be, listen, you guys watch thousand games and you, you don't see that happen. So it like it, it's so rare that when it does happen, you talk about it on a podcast and you tweet about it. But are we really going to start adding things um, to to the book uh, that happen almost never? I, and I, I'll listen to that. On the other hand, let me ask you this. If instead of Tanner Holden shooting that ball from where he shot it, he shot it from right on the three-point line, and there's a toe on the line, would they have gone back? Would they have looked yes. at that? The, yes, they would have. The, there yes. you go. So, yes, so, so we'll look at it if – to see where his foot is as it as it pertains to the three point line, yeah. but we won't look at it to see if he was actually stepping out of bounds. That, that seems like if I were a Rutgers fan, I'd be furious. I, as as you should be, I, I would argue 
I would argue this should be reviewable. Um, I, I would too. I would and, argue and that. Is, like, I, it, my understanding though is that this is this is not a reviewable call. There now, there's a chance I misinterpreted. I no, don't no, 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 no. It's not reviewable. Nobody's even okay. arguing otherwise. It's not okay, reviewable. I, I, I what I would it. argue is you can get very specific with this. How about this? You ready? In the final thirty seconds of a game, if there is some question about whether somebody stepped out of bounds or not, we'll we'll go look at it. I mean, problem solved. <laughs> I think that exact wording should be added to the rule book. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> word it, word it exactly like that. Let's move on. Before yeah. we get to the final four and one, we, we obviously have to highlight the fact that UMass Loyal improved to ten and one on Thursday with an eighty-five eighty win at UMass. Now, regular Ion College Basketball podcast listeners probably know that I randomly one time made up a story on this podcast about Elvis Presley briefly attending UMass Lowell after graduating from Humes High School in Memphis. As the story goes, that I completely made up. Uh, Elvis graduates from Humes High in May 1953. In August of that same year, enrolls at UMass Lowell, drops out after one semester, comes back to Memphis, eventually records That's All Right at Sun Records just on the outskirts of downtown Memphis. That's July 1954, and the rest, as they say, is is history. Um, Fast forward nearly 70 years, and Elvis' alma mater is now, according to the computers, the best team in the American East Conference. The Mississippi River Hawks are now 10 and 1. By the way, I've changed their name. They're now the Mississippi River Hawks. The Mississippi River Hawks are 10 and 1, ranked 113th at Ken Palm, 41 spots better than anybody else in the America East. Uh, Deadleg are are the UMass Lowell Mississippi River Hawks going to make the King proud mm. and play in the Division 1 men's basketball tournament for the first time ever this season. Look at America East. We got ourselves a situation here, my man, because UMass Lowell at 10 and 1, right there with the likes of Vermont and Bryant, the two preseason contenders. UMass Lowell clears those teams right now in record and in predictive metric standing across the board here. So we got ourselves a nice little small conference race developing, my man. This will be a. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was doing. I should have been at this game. You know, it's not, it's not Amherst is manageable. Dude, drive. If, if UMass Loyal makes the in, NCAA tournament, am I obligated to go dressed as Ellis Presley? Yeah, but you're going to be usually in studio. So is that what we can dream? We can dream okay. dead leg. Um, well, I'd love to see it. I certainly would love to see it there. The, uh, and then the cameras, the game would be, let's be honest, game probably be on. You know, probably Tr- wouldn't be on CBS, but let's for the sake of the conversation, the game's on CBS and then they go. If there's an Elvis in the crowd at any basketball game, at some point you're getting television time. Right. And, then, and then people realize, holy crap, the Elvis impersonator is actually the guy from that podcast that tells the story about Elvis going to UMass Law. It'd be a nice, be a nice little thing. It would be. Um UMass didn't have Noah Fernandez as leading scorer, but details, details, details. And UMass is it's another example of this. The A10 man, jeez, just you know, cannot get out of his own way. I don't know. Be one lead this A10 didn't perform like this when I was the master of ceremonies oh. pre-pandemic. They did it to themselves, and that's what really hurts. Um, Ayinde Hakeem had 23 points. Everett Hammond shouts to you as well, 20 points, and then Matt Cross had 19 in this game. Good job by the 
by the Mississippi River Hawks, man. They're a projected, as, as mentioned before, projected to win every game except one against Vermont. Doesn't mean they will. They definitely will not. But projected 26-5 and five record. Program has never won more than 15 games since it joined D1 in 2013. It's obviously Pat Tuchet's going to do that. Uh, he's going to best that easily. And uh, you would think that at 10-1, and one, minimum 20 win season ahead and really a, a very solid chance you've gotten this far yes really good chance at winning 24 25 26 games so we had to take at least a minute here uh and all like you know not even tongue-in-cheek man shouts to umass lowell they're good dude no seriously do you realize the only two teams in the country with 10 victories are UConn and UMass Lowell? They're the, <laughs> the only Mississippi team. River Hawks. The only two. Again, as of Friday morning, UConn, UMass Lowell, only teams in the country with ten in the W column. Shout out to those River Hawks. They might be going to the NCAA tournament for the first time. Remember, this was a Division II program for a long time. Famously won the Division II National Championship in 1988. I guess most people, college basketball fans, connect that famous, year to famous, Larry Brown. Famously won the Division II tournament? Yes. yes I think yes. everyone just learned that. Everyone yeah, most, most, I understand most people, most people connect that. You, know, like you go, 1988 college basketball. People go, oh, that's Danny Manning, Larry Brown, winning the national title at, at Kansas. Me... Thing I remember, first thing, you know, like uh, word association, GP, 1988. I go Mississippi Riverhawks won the D2 national title. Uh, Leo Parent, Leo J, uh, was just tremendous that season. I mean, he, he established himself as like arguably the greatest front court player in Mississippi Riverhawks history. Don DeSette was, was the coach. And then, of course, as you remember, uh, Don left after that championship season to become the head coach at UNC Asheville. And trivia time, trivia time. Who replaced Don Doucette as the Mississippi Riverhawks coach in 1988? If it's not Pat Duquette, current coach, then I have no damn idea. Stan Van Gundy. No, no. no. That's, a That's a fact. Stan Van Gundy coached the Mississippi Riverhawks immediately after they won a national championship. That's a fact. Next up, next up for Elvis's alma mater, St. Francis of New York on Saturday. Then it's Rhode Island on Tuesday night. Watch out, Arch. Watch out, Arch. He needs to watch out, man. It's not going so well. Two and seven for the Rams. Ooh, Elvis Presley's Mississippi more. River Hawks are coming for Rhode Island. Some more of that A-10. Ugh. All right, let's pick some games. Final four and one. Now, do you want to update us on the records? I feel like I'm pulling away. Is Are we worried that I'm going to get so far ahead of you that it's not even competitive, say, like come Jan late January, early February? Nope. You know, GP, you improved on last week. You're only two games under 500. <sighs> Orlander is, is at 500. And, and, and there we go. Uh, you're getting close, though. You're getting close to pulling away, though, GP. I'm starting <laughs> to think I might just not be good at picking games. No, you're not starting to think. Maybe I'm just not good at picking games. It's been there. That's that, that. That's the point. Again, this this is just this is a preview segment, nakedly dressed up as a pick segment. Feel free to fade us, particularly GP, as aggressively as you mean. Game one, Saturday, three p.m. Eastern. Number eight, Alabama. Number one, Houston. Inside the Sampson Center. I just think Kelvin at this point deserves to have the building named after him. You can watch it on ABC. Ken Palm has it. Houston minus eight. Eight. 
Man, uh, Houston Bama, this is Billis and Shulman on the call. Shouts to Shulman and Shulman, dedicated Ion College basketball listener. As noted in my power rankings on Thursday, this is the second time ever and the first time since 1966 that Houston has hosted a top 10 affair. Okay, both teams ranked in the top 10, and Houston's hosting the game there. So, just a big, big, big game. Alabama is playing in a top 10 matchup for the first time since 2002. And who was involved in that game, you ask? Kelvin Sampson. Alabama was eighth. Oklahoma, coached by Sampson, was number three when that happened back in 2002. How about that? Alabama is, by the way, playing the number one team in the AP poll while being ranked in the top 10 for the first time since 76. Okay, so it's the first time Bama's been in this kind of game of any kind since since 76 when they're playing a number one. It's the first time since Houston hosted top 10 affairs since 66. Big time stuff overall. I do want to shine a quick light on Brandon Miller. He's been the best freshman in, freshman in America through five weeks. 19.1 points a game. That's the most of any freshman in the country. He'll need to come up big. Um, and Alabama is physical. They are a great rebounding team. I think they average more boards per game than anyone in the country at this point. And they're great on the defensive end specifically there. So Houston's aggressive. I think this can be a really good matchup. That number is big. By the way, Marcus Sasser, I guess, got uh, got hit in the eye. Now, he's supposed to play. I I got hit in the eye. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. You did not get hit in the eye. Your momentum, your own volition, the rule book says... You didn't hit that dress. That dresser didn't hit you. You hit that dresser. Let's just be clear about that. Okay. That's that's true. Stationary object. Inanimate. Marcus Sasser was involved in in a game and another human got him in the eye. He was wearing some shades as he was doing some media availability on Thursday. He is determined to play in this. uh, So I I guess I would expect him to. Cheapy, that number's big. But I will not stray. Do you remember? Do you remember the rule? I know I can't pick against Grady Dick as an underdog, and I know I always go opposite you in game three. Those are my only rules. Okay. <laughs> my rule is I will not pick against Houston when covering the spread until Houston proves it won't do it. So I will take Houston to cover. You said it was eight or nine? Eight. I'll, uh, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm doing it. Give me the Cougars. Brandon Miller is a six, for people who haven't seen him, six nine freshman who is shooting 46.6% from three on 7.3 attempts per game. Boy, you want to figure out how to make a lot of money? <laughs> That's a great way to do it. He's a high-volume 47% three-point shooter so far this season. This is going to be Houston's first game against the top 20 Ken Palm team. Um, the Cougars are 9-0. and They got seven double-digit wins. Marcus Sasser, by the way, fourth right now in the Ken Palm Player of the Year standings. The top five, Zach Eady. Purdue, Jalen Wilson, Kansas, Drew, Timmy, Gonzaga, Marcus Sasser, Houston, and Adama Sanogo um, at, at UConn. Um, Rocket in the YouTube comments is saying that I should take Alabama plus the points. And I figure at this point, if you know, at some point you got to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. I'm going to trust that Rocket's better at picking games than I am. So Alabama plus eight. That's the play. Game two, Saturday, 5.15 p.m. Eastern, number six, Kansas at Missouri. Inside Kimmy English Arena. You can watch it on ESPN. Ken Palm has it. Kansas minus three. That's a little number. It's a little number. 
146 meeting between these programs. Kansas leads the all-time series 95 to 32, almost tripling up Mizzou, but whatever. whatever. That sounds like a lot of stuff that happened pre-Dennis Gates. It is great to have this series back. This uh, basketball series dates back to 1907 in hoops even further back on the football field. This is part of a six-year series renewal. Let's hope it's just renewed indefinitely after the six-year run is done and these schools can seek to play each other pretty much every year. And yeah, this was not a close game a year ago. Kansas Kansas destroyed them. I'm looking it up right now. I was looking at it last night. It was a, an absolute runaway. What was the final score was? Where was this game? Hold on. It was... Wait... Did they even play this game a year ago? Yeah, they did. Okay, what was, I was like, they did. I, they, they did. I was like, this is this can't be happening right now. What is reality? Uh, 102.65. 102.65. That also sounds like something that happened pre-Dennis Gates. Correct. Right now, Kansas is 8-1. Missouri sitting at 9-0. How about this? This winning thing ain't working out so well for, for Mizzou and, and Ken Palm because it started the season 40th. It's done nothing <laughs> but win nine games. It's now 50th in Ken Palm. Nine and no. Now I will say this: it's projected to lose. If it wins, it will definitely take a jump, and it will, it will jump. You know, it'll jump at least seven or eight spots if it manages to beat Kansas in this game. I would have to think. And yeah, man, just real fun, tasty matchup. I like that this is you know Kansas walking in and having to go and play at Kim English Arena. You know, Gates has done well so far against a schedule that's been absolutely atrocious. The only game of of any real challenge was a road win in overtime against a mediocre Wichita State team. Now you got KU coming in. I got to take Kansas. I got It's almost the exact opposite as the, as the Houston principle for me. Like, I, I will pick Mizzou to cover a spread once I've seen it can be competitive and cover a spread against a really good team. So go ahead and give me uh, give me Kansas to win this game. And let's say, uh, let's do a little Grady Dick over-under. All right, over-under on Dick. I will say... I don't know what his average is. I'll just say Grady Dick, 17.5 points. Over, under. I'll go I'll go under. That's a big number. I'm going to go over on Dick. <sighs> yeah. Like you said, Missouri's 9-0. Best wins Wichita State. Um, so there's nothing to the schedule, but you know, look around the country. There's a lot of first-year coaches losing a lot of games. So far, Dennis Gates hadn't lost even one he remade totally remade the roster in the transfer portal did you realize seven of missouri's top eight scores right now are division one transfers who were at other schools last season kobe brown is the only meaningful dude on the team that was on last year's team and the tigers are nine and oh 50th at ken palm top 15 in adjusted offensive efficiency that's another reason why louisville fans should be like going crazy missouri is nine and oh with a new coach who killed it in the portal portal Louisville is over. <laughs> he, Dennis Gates killed it in the Purtle at Jack Purtle's Chicken. I don't know if you know about Jack Purtle's Chicken. That's no a real idea. place. The way you said Purtle just, just hit me right. Missouri is nine. Let me, let me tell you a secret. Here's a secret. If you ever are watching television, like a uh, you know sports center or anything, and you see a host pronounce Purtle, Purtle, do you know what they did? They just read it incorrectly. Every, I'd say 99% of the time you see a host on TV read some, uh, mispronounce a word like that, it is because they're just reading a prompter. No, and it's, they, because, it's because they've got a portrait of Jakob Pertle right behind the camera. and they get It's also thing. because they're daydreaming about Jakob Pertle. No, if you ever notice somebody 
mispronounce a word like I just did, it's because they're reading the word and they just read it incorrectly, exactly like what I just did. Missouri 9-0 with a new coach who killed the portal. And Louisville is 0-8 with a new coach who didn't. I'm going to take Kansas minus the three. It just... I'd feel silly picking against Kansas at this point. So, Jayhawks, competitive game, but Jayhawks cover that number. Game three, Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, number 10, Arizona versus number 14, Indiana, inside the Ben Sanderson Grand Garden Arena. You can watch it on Fox. Ken Palm has it, Indiana minus one. Yeah, this is the first Fox primetime college hoops game. They're going to be doing like seven or eight of these this season. Uh, It's going to make Saturday nights even better from a viewing perspective. This will be Gus and Rath on the call, too. By the way, First time Arizona and Indiana have ever met. Meeting one. How about that? Somewhat surprising there. Two of the, you know, 10 to 15 best programs in history, and they've never played before until Saturday. Arizona leads the nation in field goal percentage, 55.2%. Effective field goal percentage, 59.9%. And two-point field goal percentage, 64.5%. They're also playing super fast. And did you know, Umar Balo, Azulis Tabellis, combining to average 39 and 17, they're the only duo in the sport averaging at least 39 points and combining for 17 rebounds there. I like the bigs. I like the fact they've got two really good bigs to help offset Trace Jackson Davis. Different styles. Fascinating game. I'm not going to I'm not going to predict it. I'm just going to say if Arizona wins this by like 17, I won't be stunned. I'm going to take Zona to cover this number. I hope it's a competitive game. It's super intriguing. Balo has been awesome. He is actually shooting better than anyone in the field in the sport right now 76.9% obviously he's a traditional big plays near the rim and that's been a big part of it but uh, his continued development has been has been great and I don't know this one to me if it, Indiana's internet is going to be 9G if the Hoosiers win this game by 17 points but I, to me it feels like this one just feels like to me Arizona shows out well and gets a commanding win and uh that's how I'm calling it, which means this is game three. You have no choice. I have to go opposite you. That means I have to go Indiana minus the one. And that's fine because I wouldn't want my friends in Indiana to, you know, spend the weekend without the Internet. So I'll play Indiana minus the one game four Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern. Number 21 Creighton versus BYU inside Sarah Arena. You can watch it on FS1. Ken Palm has it Creighton minus nine. This is a part of the Jack Jones Hoop Fest in Las Vegas. You don't know anything about Jack Jones. Tell Not, me what you know about Jack Jones. I don't know anything. I know plenty about Jack Johnson. But let me, let Jack. me educate you real quick. Yeah. Jack Jones, more formally known as John Paul Jones. I know plenty about John Paul Jones. Boom, 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 boom. Name that baseline. Been dazed and confused. Is that right? Yeah, but your pitch might have just been a little bit off. But yeah. Well, that's the best I can sing. Right, I, hey, never let's pret- it. I never John pretended I'm the front man of Candlebox. Are you telling me that you're telling me that the uh, the long established bass player for Led Zeppelin, uh, and also key cog in in Three Man Supergroup, uh, them Crooked Vultures, has gone about setting up a standalone college basketball MTE game in December? Is that where we're at right now? Yes, Robert Plant is touring with Allison Krauss. And John Paul Jones is he's, he's doing multi-team events <laughs> at the Mandalay Bay. That's exactly what it's a why it's wild. Nobody would have predicted this, you oh, know, I, after physical graffiti came out. Correct. Nobody would have predicted this. 
Jack Jones, Hoop Fest. Jack Jones, more formally known as John Paul Jones, is a proud Memphian who attended law school at Virginia. John Paul Jones Arena ah. is named after him. His son is a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager, philanthropist, Paul Tudor Jones. He also went to Virginia, donated $35 million to help build Virginia's basketball arena in exchange for naming rights. And he named it after his father, who is, just so we're clear, not the former basis for I refuse to believe that. I have long lived with uh, the impression, and will continue to do so, that Virginia's home arena is also <laughs> is also named after the basis from Let's Up. You know, if you go to like John Paul Jones Arena Wikipedia page, it actually says it is sometimes incorrectly referred to as being named after. I don't care what it says. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna like, that's a part of the Wikipedia page. This is not named after the bass player from Led Zeppelin. So there's a strong connection between Memphis and Virginia. And if you're trying to fi- figure out how all of this leads to Creighton headlining this event, um, among the people involved in the Jack Jones Hoop Fest, Memphian Ernie Kuyper. Ernie, of course, has run a prominent grassroots program for years. He's the cousin, former NBA star turned agent Mike Miller, whose son, Mason Miller, plays for Creighton. So connect all those dots, dead leg. I feel like I need the X-Files theme music right now because it's all, it's all one big conspiracy. It's all connected. You just got to see it. Too. I need the uh, the Charlie Day gif uh, in front of the board. Uh, just classic stuff. Shouts to Sam Ficini. Uh Creighton, last drop, four games in a row in February 2019. If it loses this one, it will be a fourth straight loss. BYU, though, uh-uh-uh. five and five. Cougs don't look to have it this season, man. They are they have been reliably a 20-win-plus program basically annually every year, except the last time that didn't happen, which was 0405, 9-21 and 21 in the last year under Steve Cleveland. Steve Cleveland certainly sounds like, I don't know, a, a mob boss from the 1930s, but regardless, I will. T- we can move this along. I'm going to take Creighton. I, they they got to show up and play well here, and I'll, I'll take them to cover. Creighton hasn't won a game since the Maui semifinals on November 22nd. They haven't won a game in 17 days, more than two weeks. Three straight losses, Arizona, Texas, Nebraska. They shot 10 of 40 from three against Nebraska, four of 27 from three against Texas. So Creighton is 14 of 67 from three past two games, both of which were losses. That's 20.9%. How do you think Doug McDermott feels watching his alma mater shoot like this? Disgusted. What about Ethan Raggy? I mean, come on, man. How do you think Grant, Grant it's Gibbs feels? It's, it's foggy, but yes. yes. I'm rewriting history. Yeah, We've established this. Grant Gibbs, probably rolling over in his Grant grave. Grant Gibbs, man. Grant Gibbs, just a vintage college baller. Um, probably you know, rolling over in his grave watching this. All right, we both taking Creighton? Yeah, I got to. BYU is like just five and five after losing four of its past six games. Plus, its whole team is at risk of being suspended by Saturday night. You never know. It could get, get tricky. It could get tricky for BYU in Las Vegas. We've talked about it before. So, absolutely, I'm taking Creighton. I'm laying the points. Okay, games to know before we get to the end one. Friday, there's only one. Maybe we'll see. Four and four, Washington at six and three, Gonzaga. Nine Eastern. You already know it's en route. Saturday. I got to serve you a time, but it's your, your call. We're trying to get you out of here quick. You want this yeah, trivia time? Let's speed it up. Okay. No trivia time. If Saturday. I miss this flight, if I miss this flight, my whole day is ruined. That's true. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Saturday, uh, there's just a, there's, there's games to be aware of. 8-1 Arkansas versus 7-2 Oklahoma and Tulsa, 1 Eastern, ESPN2. That's a Southwest Conference 
throwback game, by the way. Good good matchup there. Also on Saturday, 7-2 San Diego State versus 7-3 St. Mary's in Phoenix, 2 Eastern, ESPN+. Plus. Crosstown shootout, 6-3 Xavier at 6-3 Cincinnati, 3 Eastern on ESPN2. That game is always worth the watch. Weirdly kind of buried in the middle of the afternoon there, though. Because they might, it's always worth the watch because they might fight. They might. Actually, they, they very well might. Um, we'll, we'll see, obviously, you know, Xavier, first-year coach Sean Miller, second-year guy. Wes Miller, uh, Miller on Miller in this game. 7-2 Memphis versus 8-0 Auburn, by the way, in Atlanta, 5 Eastern on ESPN2 on Saturday. We'll see what the Tigers can do in that spot. Uh, By that, I mean both of them, literally Auburn, you know, they got to kind of get a a win of note here. And then Memphis has obviously been intriguing. We'll see what the Tigers do. And then last one on Saturday, hey, Huggins and Andy Kennedy. I like this. 7-1 UAB at 7-2 West Virginia, 6 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. If you have ESPN Plus access and you're going to be around on 6 Eastern on Saturday, just tune in. UAB was projected to be one of the better mid-majors in the country in the preseason. It has certainly lived up to that billing, and it can definitely go in and steal that game in West Virginia. And then on Sunday, Oklahoma State is against Virginia Tech on 2 Eastern, ESPN2. That's in Brooklyn. Wisconsin plays at Iowa. 6.30 Eastern Sunday night on Big Ten Network for him. McCaffrey just got his 500th win on Thursday night. Iowa was out early, kept it boring for two hours against Iowa State and the Cyhawk, or as it's referred to, I think, by college football fanatics as El Asico in that game. <laughs> um, Iowa did not have Chris Murray in that. He's going through a, a leg issue. No, it didn't matter. They, they won easily going away. Good response by the Hawkeyes after they could not uh, keep it all that interesting against Duke, obviously, Tuesday night in MSG. And now they got to turn around and, uh, and face Wisconsin again. 630 Eastern on Big Ten Network. The final game of the final four and one. Tennessee versus Maryland on Brooke Lopez Court Ooh. Saturday, 430 Eastern. Oh, excuse me. Sunday, 430 Eastern on FS1. Ken Palm has the line, Tennessee minus five. Why Brooke Lopez Court, you ask? Well, when the New Jersey Nets became the Brooklyn Nets, Brooke Lopez was the guy to lead that team in scoring the first season it played at Barclays Center. 19.2 points per game. GP, who you got? Tennessee fans have been on me. They think I've got the balls too low. They never mention a neutral court double-digit loss to Colorado. They just think I've got them too low. So... My among my rules is that if your fan base irritates me, not always, but just in recent days, then I go the other way. I'm, I'm taking the five points with with my Maryland Terrapins. Ooh, I did not anticipate that from you. Uh, by the way, Tennessee, I got the Vols. Uh, Vols fans, come find me. I got you five in the power rankings here, and five is too many in this. So I actually I thought we were gonna we were gonna differ on this. I'm also gonna take. I'm just I'm gonna take the Terps to keep it close. I'll take Tennessee to win this game. But I don't know. This feels like a this feels like a good one uh, down there at Barclays Center on Sunday. There, uh, timing is you know Sunday at four thirty Eastern. I'd love to get oh, down. If you want, if you want to make sure nobody's at a basketball game, put it on a Sunday afternoon in December at the Barclays Center. <laughs> uh, you know what? Ter- Terps fans are gonna get outfits. I, I gotta figure our guy Adi Joseph, Maryland grad. He's gonna be in the building for this. Gotta be. Uh, he's definitely going. He's he's a Queens resident. He's making he's making the trip. I would think. I would think he should take the whole family. Uh, well, you know, uh, he d- he just have a young second child. I don't know if he wants. To, I don't know if he wants to uh, uh, show his young son Maryland basketball just yet. But then again, eight and one. And I I think after losing a close but what was apparently an ugly game, I didn't see it. I was at the Garden on Tuesday night, the five point loss at Wisconsin. I think Willard's guys will respond well. Uh, Santiago Vescovi dealing with a shoulder strain. All indications are he is going to play in this game for Tennessee, which is why I'm going to take the Vols to win because he is expected to play there. Tennessee, by the way, has the number one ranked per possession defense 
at Ken Palm, but we both think Maryland will cover that plus five number. So that's the final four and one. Feels like a five and zero oh weekend for me. We'll see how it goes. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Huck. Been dazed and confused. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe to the podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Five stars, nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. We will talk to you again real soon. Enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.